0: The weighing machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed.
1: The weighing machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, Emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time.
0: Welcome to The Weighing Machine.
1: Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think.
0: On the podcast today, it's that time of year. We'll look ahead at what's in store for 2023.
1: We'll discuss the outlook on inflation, stocks, bonds, and the U.S. economy. That's with our guest, Kim Arthur, founding partner and CEO of Maine Management, and now a four-time guest on The Weighing Machine. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman.
0: And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. As we wrap up 2022, what do you see, Rusty, as some of the biggest moments and takeaways from the past year? Biggest moments and takeaways? This could be a whole podcast, I mean, given
1: this past year. Well, if I had to boil it down to one thing, I guess it would have to be inflation, and what it's done on interest rates and yeah. Federal Reserve policy, it basically killed a 40-year bull market in bonds. I think it's obviously created a secular change in the markets. And, you know, as investor Howard Marks has recently written, it's talked about a sea change in the market. So what has worked well for the last 40 years, and particularly since the great financial crisis a little over 10 years ago, is probably not, those strategies probably aren't the ones that are going to perform well moving forward. So. I would say bottom line is that active management has the opportunity to shine. Low cost will still matter, but so will fundamentals, valuations, and professional investment management. And today's guest clearly hits those buttons and the track
0: record to back it up. All right, well, let's bring him in. Our four time guest, Kim Arthur, is founding partner and CEO of Maine Management. Kim, welcome to the weighing machine.
2: Thank you, both of you. Really, really excited to be back again. I really appreciate you guys having me back again. Yep, absolutely.
1: Well, we have highlights to all of our podcasts, but I got to admit, I love the first question because you always give us a great answer. And that is the walk-up song. Every time you give us a new one, we get expand our playlist and it's always a good one.
2: What is the walk-up song for this podcast? Oh, yeah. I'm going to come out with Miley Cyrus's rendition of Zombie by the Cranberries. And I got to tell you that if Dolores, the former lead singer of the Cranberries, if she was still with us, she would give a huge nod to Miley in the performance that she does with that. And what I like about it, too, is obviously the line in it. What's in your head? We're going to find out what's in all of our heads through this (laughs) podcast today.
1: I love that song. I love the original. I love the Cranberries. I love the song 21. I still play that
2: all the time, but that's a great song.
1: You did not disappoint.
2: Thank you. Yeah, you'll get goosebumps. (laughs) You'll get goosebumps when you listen to this one.
0: Wow. All right. Well, Kim, you've been on the podcast a few times now, four times, but for those who don't know you yet, please tell us a bit about your background and your position at Mean Management.
2: Sure. So I am the CIO and CEO at Maine Management. We're a boutique investment manager with an institutional process that everything we do is about client first with exceptional service. We're partner owned. 15% of our AUMs, AUAs are invested right alongside the client. So we love the shared interest that we have. And then our strategies all use exchange-traded funds. This is our 20th anniversary, but we like the exchange-traded funds because they're low-cost and they're tax-aware. So the team that we have put together of 18 people here and 2.2 billion of AUMs, AUAs, you know, we feel really good about being in a position to once again help clients have client-first with exceptional service.
0: All right. Well, tell us more about that 18-person team and the philosophy that
2: brings you all together. So the shared philosophy is, again, trying to come up with solutions to clients' problems. So we really, really like to dig in and look at ourselves as a partner for these advisors and what the advisors are trying to provide to their clients. Our kind of fundamental philosophy from an investment standpoint is growth at a reasonable price, or known as the acronym GARP. And I think with GARP, that gives us a lot of ability to Kind of go the whole continuum from where there's, you know, sometimes value becomes pricey and then it comes back down to value, or sometimes growth. This year we've seen growth that has been taken out to out back in the woodshed, and they've gotten it to valuations that start looking more garbage. Those are the types of things we do. And, you know, one other thing that we obviously look at with that client first focus is. We want to try to make sure that clients get to keep more of their investment returns. And again, I think using exchange-traded funds kind of can help to deliver on that promise or that objective. Yeah, excellent.
1: Well, as we mentioned, it's that time of year for forecast and to look ahead. So we want to hear your outlook. And I want to say in past podcasts, you've really nailed it. So what is the main management outlook and how is it being articulated in investment portfolios?
2: So as you mentioned in the opening comments here, inflation has been obviously a big, big factor here in 2022. And what's interesting is we think inflation peaked in June at 9%. And if we all go back a year ago to the end of 2021, inflation was 7% and rising. So we've now had it go up the steep hill, which I know, uh, Rusty, you're very familiar with climbing steep hills. So you Mm -hmm. know how much effort has to go into that. Uh, but now we're on the backside of that mountain. We basically have round-tripped, and inflation right now is at seven percent and declining. So it feels more like you've got a tailwind to inflation in 2023. And I think that 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 is definitely something to keep in mind, particularly you know when you're looking at fixed income, as you mentioned too. The 40-year bull market in fixed income was obliterated this year, and people found out that wow. Not only can you lose a little money, you can lose a lot of money in fixed income. And these double-digit losses that fixed income has had, people haven't seen that for decades and decades. Um, So typically, you're probably in a position now, again, if you're on the backside of that mountain of inflation, you're in a much better position today than you were 12 months ago looking uh, at fixed income.
1: Well, let me just say on fixed income. So, just given that I look on inflation and interest rates, how should investors be treating their bond allocations?
2: Typically, for fixed income, your best kind of proxy to see what your future return is is what is the coupon. And coupons on intermediate bonds right now are just below 4%. A year ago, they were just barely over 1%. So, that's kind of a good marker to look at what your returns are. At least you're getting positive returns keep in mind the trailing 10 year cagger on those intermediate bonds it's 1%, 1%. They haven't even delivered inflation protection. And you know, juxtaposed to equities which are probably 13% for the cagger over that trailing 10 year. So a very 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 different different setup there. But given that positive coupon right now, we think that investors could probably look at mid single digit returns and again, with the inflation on the backside there, we think that rates are close to peaking here, much different than a year ago when the Fed funds rates were at zero and we're now at four and a half percent. So people always panic near the bottoms are more near the tops there. And they think that rates will never come in. But you've had a lot of movement in those. So we think that, you know, investors can actually have a position in their fixed income and kind of look to a mid single digit type of return for that for this year.
0: All right, and what is your outlook for the U.S. economy and corporate earnings?
2: Yeah. So the U.S. economy, it's interesting. We have a theory that we're in more of a rolling recession. And what I mean by that is, is back in 2021, you had auto sales that bottomed down at 12.7 million, and they're probably at around 13.7 million now, but that's down from 17 million pre-pandemic. And then you had... Big inventory bloat because people overestimated demand. That was Walmarts and Targets. That was in April. But those have been worked off. The Fed has done a very good job at destroying demand in the housing industry. We've all seen the numbers for that. So I think with that rolling recession, you're looking at a slow economy next year. Let's say GDP of below 1%. That's opposed to the back half of the year for 2022. It's probably around 3%. So you get a big deceleration, easy comparisons versus the first half of 2022 when we had negative GDP. So we think that you have this slow, not destroyed growth. And then what that does for corporate earnings is we think that you know most people are looking, the most recent strategists, they think you have down earnings for next year at $215. Analyst estimates are for 230 if they look at individual companies. We're somewhere in between the two of those. So we're taking the over for the strategists looking at 215 and somewhere probably slightly below where the analysts are. But again, that means it's very, very manageable. And the last thing that I would say is the recession. And R is a word that people get very nervous about. But there is a Philadelphia Anxious Index. They've been doing surveys by managers and people since 1968 it is the highest percentage of people predicting a recession next year, okay? I'm a contrarian by nature, and that doesn't mean that you won't get a recession. It just probably means that that recession has been very well discounted by the market. And we're in that camp where we think that that discounting has a lot of it's already happened.
0: All right. Well, what about the stock market and specifically the US stock market? What's your outlook there?
2: Yeah. You know, the consensus for people right now, and I I just like to throw that out for a marker, is that we're going to have uh, either retesting of the 3,500 lows that the market hit in October of 2022, that you would have that happen in the first quarter of 2023, or breaking down to even lower lows. And then after that gets digested because the earnings have collapsed to get you there, you then get a rally in the back half of the year to bring you up to 4,000. That's kind of the consensus. Again, we're taking a little different look at that. One thing to keep in mind, historically, in the third year of a presidential cycle, the strongest period is January through April. And that period is also the strongest out of any four-month period in four years, if you look at all four years of the presidential cycle. So you do have a tailwind from that standpoint, though the market would not believe that and we think if you look our price target on the on the S&P on the upside is 4350 that's 19 times 19 times and then on the low end we have 33650 which is around 16 times juxtapose that to 2022 the market traded between 22 and 15 so big band tightening up the band. And then the other thing, that 19 times price target, that's a multiple point below the historical trailing earnings multiple. But remember, these numbers next year with kind of the weak economy this year and the weak economy next year, those are not peak earnings. So you would expect that multiple that it could still grow in the following year.
1: Wow. Good stuff. It's almost like those are like the kind of the bullet points people could kind of write out and put it on their desktops when they're talking to investors. All right. So you kind of just touched upon this. So uh, what is your expectation for overall volatility for the stock market? And the reason why I ask is, again, last year was a great year for main management in terms of relative performance for your strategies, but one in particular was your buy right strategy. So what is your outlook on volatility and how might that impact the buy right strategy?
2: Yeah. So volatility, if we look at the VIX, the V-I-X that people can pull up, it's kind of the barometer or the like the barometric pressure of the stock market. And historically, that number is around 19 as average. And when things get elevated, it can be up in the 30 levels. And when it's very complacent, it can be down in low teens. So it currently is at 22 right now. And as you mentioned on the buy right, Rusty, for the average of it for 2022 was probably high 20s. That means there was lots of opportunity to get paid for selling covered calls in that type of environment. And with a 22 level right now, a little above that, that actually makes a good setup for 2023. So let me give you an example. If someone were to go out and buy the S&P 500 right now, buy the SPY, let's say it's around $385, you can sell a one-year forward call. So that would be looking out to December 15th of 2023, you get paid almost 11%, plus you get your dividend that you have. So you're looking at you know almost 13% type of return for 12 months. That gives you a lot of downside protection. It would protect you down to 3,400 on the SPX, and it would get you an upside of 4,350. So that is pretty attractive, and what that means is that volatility because of things that you know, we've talked about, rate uncertainty, inflation uncertainty, recession uncertainty, that equals opportunity for clients. All
1: right, so let's turn to international markets, and I kind of like this topic because you recently just introduced a new international ETF, that's surely exciting, but what is your outlook on non-US stock markets?
2: Yeah, we were. I had the whole team and two of my founders. We were in Chicago last week to uh, ring the bell for the CBOE, where we've listed these exchange traded funds. I also found out, just a quick side note, you've got like two hundred traders that are down there. And what you don't do, you do not ring that bell before you're given your a lot of time to do it. They will come up there and take a pitchfork and put it in you. <laughs> So you have to be very careful when you're around that bell until they give you the flash signal to ring it. I'm sure there's some superstition involved in that. But this international strategy, I think, Rusty, and I know you're very well steeped in this area. The number one predictor of if international is going to outperform the U.S. stock market is the U.S. dollar. So if you're in a strong U.S. dollar environment, I don't care how much you stomp your feet and want the U.S. market to underperform. It will not. It will not. Um, And so what's interesting is if we look at the U.S. dollar, it has very long dated cycles there. So the last big bull market in the U.S. dollar peaked in 2002. The U.S. dollar was up 45 percent. And then it went into a decline where it bottomed in 2011. If you look from 2011 up to this year at the high watermark, the US dollar was up 50%, 5-0, 50%. It's now up about 45. So you've had it come off the boil, come off the top. And international has been outperforming as that's happened. You also get the other situation coupled with it now where the relative valuation of the US market to international. International is at the cheapest relative price since 2002. And again, 2002 was you had the the double whammy. You had the dollar topping and you had that cheap valuation. And what resulted for the forward five years is international markets outperformed by almost two to one versus the US for the following five years. And the last thing I'd throw in is your dividend yield right now is 2x in international markets, what it is here in the US. So that gives you one other kind of backstop or one other act actual return stream to look at.
1: All right. You said a couple of things I need to follow up on. So first of all, though I've been to a couple
2: bell ringings, they'd never let me ring the bell. Was it pretty cool? It was really cool. I had one of my partners standing next to me. We had like four of us on one side and four on the other. And so they tell you to ring it with some, you know, put some might into it. So I rung this thing as hard as I could. Poor guy, my one partner, you know, he's older than I am. And I look over at him, you could see him just kind of cringing as this big bell. It was a big brass bell. But it was very cool. Yeah, I would highly recommend if you ever get a chance. And the other fun thing was is my partner that was standing next there. He's been trading options since nineteen seventy five when the CBOE started doing that. So for him, this was a real cool round trip to be, you know, get to go do this. Was something he's been involved in intimately since 1975.
1: How do they tell you when to stop ringing it? By the way, what if you just wanted to keep ringing it for five
2: minutes? Yeah, they tell you you get five tugs, you get five <laughs> rings, and then and then and then and then you stop. Otherwise, they'll probably come in there and there's a trap door that you fall through.
1: <laughs> All right, back on the international. So, how much does somebody have an international? What
2: is your counsel yeah, that, on that? That's a great question. So, if you kind of look at, let's use the All Country World Index as kind of a bogey benchmark, that currently is in rough numbers. It would tell you that it's 60% US and 40% international. So you can kind of use that as a a guidepost. This is typically what we do. So in a 70-30 allocation that you would have, that means you've got about you know a little over 25% that you would have an in international. Sometimes people don't feel comfortable. I can tell you right now, Rusty, that everybody that we talk to, they do not like the I word. If you bring it up to them, they're saying, stop, stop. And, and for good reasons. It's been a horrible asset class for 11 years. So people people have that embedded in their mind. So I think people probably have like less than 15%. They could have 10%. I think they're very, very underexposed to that asset class, and I think they should try to figure out and they balance 70-30, 70 equities, 30 fixed income, they should be north of 20% now. And they won't do that until they start to see some real outperformance. But again, those outperformance periods are usually pretty brief and short. So we think it's time now to start allocating and moving into that area.
1: Well, kind of related onto the international theme is you know when you talk to investors obviously we've talked about inflation and economic growth as big concerns but another concern is just all the geopolitical threats and that coming up in the new year and I think it obviously has to be a top concern because you and I were on our sister podcast at Orion called Weighing the Risk, and it had huge numbers in terms of people listening to it. So I think that might be a clue that geopolitical concerns is a top of mind for many advisors and investors. But for those who didn't listen to that podcast, what is some of your general counsel to investors concerned about geopolitics? And how are you adjusting portfolios, if at all, based off that laundry list of potential concerns?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the geopolitical, what's interesting is if you look back over a long sweep of time, unfortunately, these geopolitical hotspots happen with way more frequency than people believe. And it's probably every two to three years, there is a big hotspot. Obviously, 2022, we've got Russia invading Ukraine. But if you go back, if you go back over history, Post-World War II, you know, you've got the Korean War, you had the Bay of Pigs, you had, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis, 9-11. There's a lot of them. And the common theme that investors need to realize is when those geopolitical crises happen there, typically that's when you want to be putting money into the market on those situations. Because in almost all of them, 12 months and 24 months later, You're up pretty significantly from those periods when they went down. And what it shows you again is sort of the tenacity and the growth mindset of the globe that when these things happen, everybody gets together and they work to find a solution to that problem. And that problem will not be permanent, it will be resolved. Doesn't feel like it, doesn't feel like it, but it does happen. I think the other part of it, too, that I throw out, and it's a little crass, but the other thing to remember in equity markets is. Fear is temporary, greed is permanent. And that means you can see it with the return streams in equity markets that they're obviously up over, you know, the CAGGERs are very positive over long periods of time. So I think keeping that in mind there, you need to make sure instead of being shook out at the bottom when those happen, you need to kind of have that pit in your stomach and realize it's time to kind of lean into it and put money into the market or the asset class that you're looking at. Excellent.
0: All right. Well, let's switch gears to some of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests on the show. And first, a new one for you. Professionally, you are surrounded by incredible resources in terms of people, tools, and ideas. So considering all of that, what is currently your favorite investment idea?
2: You can only pick one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That makes it, it's it's sort of like, "Mm, I want the chocolate ice cream and the vanilla, but I think with certainty, given all the uncertainty that we're talking about that's happened in 2022, and given the uncertainty that still there's big headwinds with uncertainty, I got to go with this call writing strategy, whether it's one like ours or somebody else that's doing it. And again, going back to that risk reward of low double digits. In an uncertain environment, I mean, people are dying for fixed income at 4%, which is not very tax aware. That's that's ordinary income. And a buy right wrapper like we have, that is tax aware. In fact, we on ours are going to actually distribute 4 to 6%. And most of that could potentially be return of capital, could be return of capital. So for taxable accounts, extremely favorable. And as I mentioned, if you got the ability to have calls that are bringing in double digits, I think that I like the certainty on that. I think it feels pretty good. Sounds better than a you an know, annuity too, a fixed annuity that's probably mid-single digits.
1: I, gotta, I just love this question so much that I, I kind of think even people listening to this are kind of still negative on the market. How can they not be intrigued by the favorite ideas that professional money managers, I mean, all this stuff they have around them and what are they most excited about? I guess a cook always likes their own cooking though, right? So first I'll <laughs> exactly. question. Exactly. So in past episodes, we've asked you how you stay so energetic and able to perform at a high level. And you've given us great answers in the past. I, can rec- I know three answers off the top of my head and I know they're true. One, you spend quality time with your family. You have a very disciplined exercise regimen that includes biking and surfing, which I've done with you as well. And you get plenty of sleep, which always astounds me, despite all this stuff you do. So do you have any new practices or anything you've learned in terms of how to keep your performance at a high level?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Two additional things. I will just give an anecdotal piece on the sleep. It's it's interesting. I saw a podcast a while back or listened to a podcast a while back with Jeff Bezos, and he mentioned sleep as a keystone to what he's done. And then Justin Verlander, who obviously just helped win the World Series, he said, you know what my PEDS are, my performance enhancement drug? It's called sleep. So, I loved hearing that. But the two other things that one I have been doing for a while, but the other one that I'm going to tell you, I've just recently locked and loaded on. And that is breathing and not just breathing through your mouth, but breathing through your nose. And I can tell you, like when I'm kind of getting to stress periods, or if I'm working out, or if I'm, you know, like you said, skiing or surfing there, if I start breathing very focused through my nose, I can feel like it's like a Zen period that comes in. It's unbelievable. So again, I would highly recommend focusing and thinking about that. The other is stand-up. We've got stand-up desks in our office and have had them here for a decade plus now. And the amount of energy that I feel that standing up versus sitting down, oh my gosh, I mean, it's a game changer. So for people, if they have not incorporated that into their daily life, I know the Apple watches and other things, they have both of those, the breathe app, but they don't tell you to breathe through your nose. They should say breathe app through your nose, through your nose. And then they obviously record how much you're standing up in each day.
1: Right on. Rob and I are both standing up right now at our desk. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And that breathing stuff is so important. I've studied a lot about breathing over the last year and that the nose thing really does work. So it's huge. And just trying to do it even when you go to sleep, just focusing on it. Just amazing. Well, here's another question that that we've started asking this year. So we haven't thrown this at you yet, but again, you've been around so many successful people who've helped you get to where you are today. So kind of in the spirit of gratitude and continue
2: learning, who are some of the people you're professionally thankful for and what did you learn from them? I'm going to keep that question with the home team bias and you'll see why here in just a minute. But My two senior partners, Jim Considine, Ambassador Dick Fredericks, these two gentlemen have lent so much to me and my growth um, and the rest of our team members. And I think part of it, what I really like looking at the two of them is you don't have a lot of people that can say, hey, I've been investing and in the finance business through these four major areas, high inflation. That would be in the seventies. Both of these gentlemen, you know, their careers—they were working through that period. Oh, then followed by the next decade with rates, with elevated rates. Oh, they've been through there and have live war-tested experience. How about the tech boom and then bust? Oh, they were there in the nineties. And then oh, the last thing—how about the Great Financial Crisis? Yep, checkbox again so i find the breadth of experience and the insight and knowledge that they both bring it is such a pleasure to be able to have that resource right at my tip there and they're both just great people too you know all the way from you know family first to just you know doing the right thing and knowing that you'll be treated well if you do the right thing to other people so big big shout out to both of them
1: Boy, given their experiences, I don't know what their current favorite investment ideas are. I'll have to have them on a podcast sometime.
0: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) All right, well, Kim, this has been such a great conversation as always. And before we let you go, can you give us some recommendations for books and podcasts that you're listening to at the moment?
2: Yeah, so I think on the book side there, I'm going to carry with the theme of breathing. So that would be the book by James Nestor, N-E-S-T-O-R, Breath. Obviously, it's a couple of years old. It's from 2020, but uh, well worth a listen, well worth a listen. So I would definitely go with that. And then I think, you know, podcasts. I want to shout out one for your home team. I have, you know, obviously listened to podcasts that you guys do with other people And you do a phenomenal job. So I've got that bookmark there. I've got, I tell advisors if they have not hooked in and got into it there, there's a lot of good stuff that you guys are doing. So big kudos to you guys. That continues to be on my shopping list and do other people that I talk to. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Kim. Thanks. All right. Well, hey, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, you want to take us out with your final words? Well, first of all, Kim, just thank you so much for, you know, taking time out
1: on a Friday afternoon for this podcast. And again, just being on other podcasts in the past, it's hearing what you have to say. I mean, they're just people taking notes on this, can just use them in conversations with
2: investors. If you're an investor, you can use them in making decisions. It's all good stuff. So thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you guys too, for the partnership. I love the fact that you guys are client focused, client first, and really respect that. So hope you guys have a good one. Thanks. Well, I'm going to say invest well and be well. And I'll hand the ball off back to Robin
0: to close us out. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And hey, if you like this episode, please remember to subscribe. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions.
1: Thanks again for listening. Robin and I truly appreciate you giving us some of your valuable time. We hope to provide you in each episode something you can use in conversations or making decisions or both. If you like this podcast, you might also like some of our sister podcasts at Orion Advisor Solutions. First, we have the Weighing the Risk podcast, which I host monthly. On behalf of Orion Risk Intelligence, this is where we consider various market scenarios regarding top of mind concerns among financial advisors and investors. Next, we have one of the top rated and most popular podcasts in the financial industry, especially when it comes to behavioral finance, Dr. Daniel Crosby's weekly standard deviations podcast. And when it comes to all things FinTech, we also have the bi-weekly The Fuse Show with Ryan Donovan and George Figuera, two of the funniest guys in the industry, you will learn something and laugh in every episode. Last, when it comes to more content, including commentary, videos, and other resources, please check out the website, orionportfoliosolutions.com, go to the research drop down menu, and go to the Financial Advisor Success Hub. Thanks again, invest well and be well, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at Rusty at Orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information the participants consider reliable.